Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is The Guardian. I think there is a tendency for a lot of Australians to say we can't do manufacturing in this country, we can't do processing in this country, but we haven't actually properly tested that. And as the Minister said, you know, the global economic environment has shifted, shipping costs are expensive. If we have a lot of renewable energy, the cost of energy comes down. A lot of these manufacturing chains are more robotic these days. So there is a, there's a new form of manufacturing that is emerging. And I really do believe that Australia can play a key role in that. Hello, I'm Paul Karp, Guardian Australia's Chief Political Correspondent. Today I'm in the Ministerial Wing of Parliament House chatting to the Industry Minister, Ed Husick, and the newly appointed Chair of the National Reconstruction Fund, Martijn Wilder. The National Reconstruction Fund is a $15 billion fund modelled on the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. It will invest in seven key priority areas, renewables and low emissions technology, medical science, transport, agriculture, forestry and fisheries, resources, defence capability and enabling capabilities. Today we're going to hear how the fund will help Australia achieve energy transition and shift away from being a quarry and farm to develop a comparative advantage in higher value-added industries. Good morning, Minister Husick and Martijn Wilder. Hi, how are you, Paul? Hi, Paul. How are you going? For several decades, there's been a view in classical or neoliberal economics that the market decides which industries countries have a comparative advantage in, and industry policy like the $15 billion National Reconstruction Fund with its seven priorities is derided as picking winners, which it said the government is no good at. I want to start by asking, was that view always wrong or is there something about the current moment in economic history uh, that makes this a better approach for now? I think policy is shaped by the times. At that point, remember, uh, they were coming off the back of a period of time where governments did actively uh, lean in, but as globalisation was taking effect and uh, Australia recognised that its fortunes would also be tied by expanding the size of its own market by virtue of export markets, that put pressures on the way in which governments did things. Um, But policy is being shaped by a number of, of things that we've lived through, either a pandemic that open up our eyes to the fact that the things we thought, you know, we could get our hands on quickly, they weren't there. Supply chains, which people really never spoken about before, became the common conversation topic and the limitations of them. The fact that we've gone through the sort of geopolitical landscape, the way that trade was used as part of that, uh, and that having an impact on the way we do business. And also the other biggest thing that shapes our times is how we respond to climate change, reducing emissions while also 
providing for jobs and economic opportunity. And so all those things, I think, have turned on its head, This the orthodoxy, which is well, the government steps out. Clearly, there is a role for governments to play uh, a part uh, where it makes a difference. And the NRF is designed to attend to those issues on supply chains, reinvigorate manufacturing in, in a number of key areas that we think are important long term. And, and notably, I think, and, and obviously by virtue of the fact of the person sitting right next to me, we have a massive challenge on reaching net zero and industry can play a part in that. Yeah, I think picking up on what the Minister said, uh, the fact is the global economy is decarbonising. We're moving from an old sort of fossil fuel style economy to a new economy. And in doing that, that creates huge opportunity for Australia. So Australia has traditionally dug and grown things and basically now we've got a real opportunity to value add to that. And as the global economy changes, we, the government really should be looking at what are the opportunities for us. And governments of Australia have successfully gone through a period of setting up the CFC, ARENA, other organisations. And that ecosystem, along with the NRF, can play a really critical role. For the Minister, what sort of rate of return will you need across the National Reconstruction Fund to justify this being off budget? Uh, and how did the Labor decide to do a reconstruction fund in this way? And for Mr Wilder, how do you fund projects and how do you decide when the government should take equity or, or just uh, lend money to projects? We obviously identified, by virtue of some of the things I mentioned a few moments ago, the times we live in in, we needed to be able to have a fund to help revitalise manufacturing in the longer term areas that will be important to us economically and from a jobs perspective and from a climate uh, perspective as well. Uh, The other thing too that people were very uh, familiar with was the way in which taxpayer dollars were being used in the administration before us. Coalition had a, a big emphasis on grants and frankly people saw the way that played out we wanted to have an independent board that was making its calls on uh, investments that could deliver a return for the taxpayer. And the rate of return to the to heart of the question that you asked me, we working, will we working that through the investment mandate we'll be consulting with the board? Uh, and that will contain things like what the rate of return should be. It's, it's something that requires a bit of balance because you don't want to be cavalier in the way you use taxpayer dollars. You want this fund to replenish itself so it can go on and support other businesses that are stepping forward with some really worthy uh, projects. But you also don't want to be so risk averse that you're not investing in anything. So you can appreciate, and I think the listeners will appreciate, there's a challenge there, but we want to take the advice of the board on that too. Yeah, so I think one of the, the, the good things about the NRF is the Act quite clearly identifies seven key priority areas. In addition to that, it talks about things to be taken into account in making decisions, such as our greenhouse emissions, uh, First Nations, interests such as minority groups and their involvement. So it has a clear but broad mandate. Secondly, each project will come within those guidelines to the board and we'll decide them on a case-by-case basis. Um, One of the priority areas is renewables and low emissions technologies. Uh, We've already got the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, which you're obviously very familiar with, and the Australian Renewable Energy Authority. Uh, Why is the energy transition such a priority and why do we need the NRF to do it when there are all these other places to go for funding? Well, the energy sector is the major source of greenhouse gas emissions in Australia. It's also the sector that's in the most significant transition in the economy. And so energy is a priority for governments in Australia at state and federal level. Um, And I think that the NRF is focused particularly on the manufacturing side and the innovation side. So it's a really good complement to uh, the CFC and it's a very good complement to ARENA. And I think that some of the stuff that comes through ARENA, but also through our universities and through other innovation centres in Australia, be more suited to the 
NRF than the, than the CFC, but I envisage that all of these organisations will work very closely together. And I think, you know, the old adage that 101 equals three, I think working together we can have a much better impact. And I'm conscious I'm sitting next to someone who sat on the board of the CFC, so I'm loath to, to be able to talk about the history in <laughs> great detail. But I think in broad terms, I think it's fair to say the CFC wanted to provide finance for renewable projects that at that point in time, not many people were willing to step up. With the NRF, when it comes to renewables and low emissions technology or zero emissions technology, what we want to do is demonstrate we can manufacture those technologies here onshore and deploy them quickly. So, for instance, as people know, and it's often cited, a lot of the IP behind solar cells developed here in Australia and then the manufacturing went offshore. We want to be able to do a lot of more of this in Australia and also bearing in mind that the world has twigged that, uh, okay, it might be cheaper to uh, manufacture something many thousands of kilometres away, but then you've got to ship it and the emissions benefit uh, it instantly evaporates with the co- with what you think about the emissions impact of that transport. So the more that we can do onshore, get it deployed, and I think there is an appetite as well for Australian-made technology uh, to be used for one of the big global and national challenges that we have. Um, being able to give some sort of capital support for that to occur, I think will, will be beneficial and I think people will get that too. The energy transition requires huge investment. We've got the US Inflation Reduction Act investing $369 billion US dollars in energy security and climate change. Is $15 billion Australian going to be enough? So I think the NRF, you know, $15 billion is very important, but I think the NRF needs to be considered in the broader context of other institutions we have, as we've said, the CFC arena, but also other industry policy that exists and the grant-making schemes that exist and the venture capital ecosystem we have in Australia. The other thing I think which people probably don't realise is that the IRA also provides benefit to Australia. So there is an opportunity to develop and manufacture things in Australia, sell them in the US and still get the benefit of the IRA. So I see a lot of opportunity for the two to actually work together. And I think when you look at where Australia... Uh, the US, the UK, Germany and Japan are in terms of working together in terms of economic development. There's phenomenal opportunities for for everything to come together. And within the portfolio, Paul, uh, I'm often looking at ways in which you join up different programs to get, as I described, mass and momentum. So there will be a lot of things, not the least of which we have another program, the Industry Growth Program. We've got measures like the R&D tax incentive. Uh, Connecting all those up to be able to focus on this big challenge of reducing emissions while also opening up uh, economic and employment opportunity uh, uh, concurrently uh, is something that we do think about. I I don't think we can necessarily match, uh, and I think people appreciate that too, $150 billion of massive investment, but bear in mind the size of the US population and what they're instantly bringing to the table from a financial perspective. But there are a number of different measures that connect it up or if they're thinking along the same lines, even if they can't actively cooperate together, be it NRF, CFC, NAIF, some of the other um, vehicles or programs that we've got, um, that those will be important. And the other thing is too, working with Minister Bowen and myself, uh, clearly we've got a uh, sectoral plans we'll be developing to decarbonise, say, the industry or the built environment. A number of other colleagues are involved in that too. There are these different mechanisms that either are there or actively being contemplated to ensure that we've got, and this is the big thing, um, that the challenge of the IRA is that you don't lose your capacity. That is, that firms don't get lured offshore to do work in the US 
uh, we want to signal this is really important to Australia. We're lining up the support to make it happen. Obviously, you've got to come to the table with stuff that works. We're not just going to uh, be, as I said, I used this term earlier, cavalier with taxpayer funds that's got to stack up. But if it does, and we can put this to use in the Australian context, will be vitally important. Uh, 82% renewables generating electricity by 2030 looks uh, very challenging. Uh, what role will the NRF uh, play in, in helping to meet uh, targets in the electricity and other sectors? Well, one of the key priorities areas of the NRF is energy, and an initial $3 billion has been allocated towards that. So the NRF will be looking for projects that can actually help get towards that target. In addition, I think where there's opportunities in the supply chain and there are supply chain constraints in energy and we are able to, to manufacture some of those, those critical components, then the NRF will look at that. Obviously, it does depend what comes to the NRF, but we'll play an active role in encouraging engagement. One example could be um, raw materials processing in Australia, such as lithium, et cetera, where that can go into batteries. Another will be the potential for battery manufacturing. Another could be looking at you know, the relationship between um, manufacturing electric vehicles and, and other parts of the grid. So I think that, you know, I see the NRF playing a really important role and also working with other organisations, as I said earlier, like, for example, the CFC. Now the Minister's got a prop here, so I'm, di- I'm dying to know the explanation for this. So this is actually uh, ink. It's printed on this sheet that conducts electricity developed out of the University of Newcastle. Um, and they're in the stages of trying to scale that up, see how that, that can work. Uh, and if they do, so that um, can last on their basis where, where they're at four years, can be rolled out a lot quicker. You wouldn't be putting it out simply like that. It's clear, you know, to protect against the elements, we'll have to have materials put over the top of it. But the cost profile of that, massively lower than a traditional solar cell. Um, these are the type of thinking of commercialising this type of thinking and being able to scale it up uh, that can have an impact onshore. This is SunDrive. They presented this solar cell. They've, they've been working an Australian initiative where they can increase the efficiency of uh, solar cells. Again, Australian thinking and know-how being applied and has received support uh, from a number of different, different partners here. But again... You're right to point out 82% renewables by by that time frame is really challenging. But having said that, there are a lot of people that are applying Australian know-how to try and, and are very keen to scale that up quickly. And while you look at it, when you look at that and when you make those type of predictions, which I understand uh, why you would do that, that's made on the basis of what we know right now, not what could emerge And we want the NRF to be available for those people who've previously or traditionally struggled to get capital to help them scale up and do this thing to meet this ambitious type type of target. We're having to play catch up because of the indolence um, that we've experienced before us in terms of coalition governments not taking this seriously. But we are definitely, there is that ambition uh, and drive to be able to meet that target and work with others to do so. And just on processing of raw materials and resources, I think intuitively we like the idea of Australia being more than just a quarry, but ha- how do we know that the business case for that stacks up? Well, I think this is one of the, the, the tasks that we have to do. We actually have to run the business cases and we have to work out what is viable and what can be done in Australia. I think there is a 
tendency for a lot of Australians to say, we can't do manufacturing in this country, we can't do processing in this country, but we haven't actually properly tested that. And as the minister said, you know, the global economic environment has shifted, shipping costs are expensive. If we have a lot of renewable energy, the cost of energy comes down. A lot of these manufacturing chains are more robotic these days. So there is a, there's a new form of manufacturing that is emerging. And I really do believe that Australia can play a key role in that and we should be, be exploring what is viable rather than just assuming that it's not viable. And as industry minister, that's one of the things I often think about over the last 12 months. Um, I did speak up fairly strongly on energy costs, but as we move to a renewable environment, the cost profile of that energy drops significantly. That confers a big benefit to us. And given uh, solar and wind will make up, they're the big drivers in terms of uh, longer term renewable energy generation, uh, but given our country is exposed so much to solar uh, radiation, we are, have one of the best opportunities to reduce the cost to manufacturers. And as Martin just indicated, automation uh, will make a lot of things easier that previously uh, it was just too hard to contemplate. And around batteries, I, I think I get, get what drives the question, absolutely, uh, that you know, if you used orthodoxy, you just couldn't do it. Uh, the orthodoxy was ship everything to one country where everything costs a lot less. And what we've seen is all the eggs being placed in one market and uh, one basket, I should say, um, or market. Actually, that could have worked in a weird way. But um, we're now saying we've got to change that. And we've got this great opportunity and we should be thinking that Australian resources confer on us huge economic advantage and let's put that, that to work and knock out some of the things that have been previously seen as barriers. I'll just add one thing to that. I mean, I think there needs to be also a bit of ecosystem and nature building thinking. Mm -hmm. So Australia at the moment is looking at offshore wind in Victoria. Um, some of those developers have said, well, is it possible to build the offshore wind kit in Australia? Is it possible to build the ships in Australia? And you will have seen that in Tasmania, in the paper on the weekend was a company in Tasmania now building the biggest electric ships in the world. So we have this opportunity to actually look at whether or not you can build a much bigger ecosystem supply chain and then become an exporter of that to the world. I think that sort of thinking needs to be brought to uh, the future of Australia. Well, our last lot of um, uh, cooperative research project funding, we funded a group that are looking to develop electric planes. I'm happy for them to test that first, but <laughs> they're working on that. They reckon they can get 40 minutes out of uh, flights and then recharge those those batteries. But then when you have that challenge, it forces people to think about, you know, what does it take to make that stack up and go for longer? And that problem-solving mentality, that, that's the fuel of future innovation right there. There are particular communities that are affected by decarbonisation. Now, I know that the Albanese government is setting up the Net Zero Authority to work on that issue, but will that also be part of the National Reconstruction Fund's investment mandate to create good jobs for those workers? And um, for the Chair, which parts of the country in particular do you think that the NRF will be uh, creating jobs in? So there's work of the NRF that will naturally lend itself to that type of challenge that you've expressed around in particular, what we're very keen to see is uh, how can we open up opportunity for regional Australia uh, and the manufacturing activity that occurs there to be able to scale up. Uh, when I come back and emphasise again for Martin and his board members in the broader organisation, they have been vested the responsibility and authority to make those calls. It's not for me as a minister to come forward and say this individual proposition or that. 
because that's why we want it. We want to be able to give the Australian public the confidence that their money is being managed uh, properly and without political interference, and it's in the national interest. Uh, but we do think that if there's with the net zero authority and the work that Greg Combay uh, and his colleagues will be engaged in is to coordinate effort, not just the NRF, but other programs and investment vehicles, and to see how that might be utilised in regional areas. The regions themselves think deeply about this. They've, if you go to different parts of the country, their local communities have already been thinking ahead about what the future looks like for them and what type of support they need. So working federal, state, local government, having bodies coordinating that and doing it in an efficient way so that we're not you know, tripping over each other uh, will be really important. But the NRF should be focusing on uh, ideally, um, and again, you know, what opposition, what opportunities exist in regional Australia, and also calling up the talents. And Martin referred to this earlier. You know, traditionally, finance hasn't looked at people or, or hasn't been there for people, particularly female founders or people from underrepresented groups, uh, to give them finance in ways that they have been thinking about doing things differently, and especially if they're located in regional areas. So, during the course of the debate around the NRF legislation on the floor of the House, we did agree. Uh, to amend the legislation to have a focus on that too. So um, those ink or those capital streams might be made available to good ideas uh, where they come from non-traditional sources. And by that, I mean, it's just been the orthodox way of, well, we'll only give it to people that are in the, the capital cities because they may have their act together. Well, we're saying, can we shake things up in the national interest? Yeah. And I think, you know, just to, to add to that, I mean, when you look at what's happening in Australia at the moment, you see regions like Gladstone, mm -hmm. Um, Newcastle, Wollongong, Latrobe, Wyala, um, areas in in the Kimberley, all those areas are have a lot of features that that go towards you know rebuilding industry. If you're looking at an area like Latrobe, it's already got the infrastructure. So the question is, what can you replace? And as the minister said, you know many of the regional authorities and the governments have already looked very closely at what can be done in those areas. So I would expect that, given the transition is going on in those areas, given that the net zero authority is looking at those regions. There'll be a lot of interest from those regions and a lot of interest in the NRF in, in ensuring we can support that transition. Defence capability is one of the priority areas. Is that for export as well as sovereign capability for our own defence forces? And noting there have been controversies about which countries Australia exports arms to, what ethical guardrails will there be on that aspect? Um, so on, on the defence side, there are clearly arrangements that are in place that uh, about how you, you export. Um, on the defence capability side, we want to make sure clearly for Australian firms uh, that have got capability that they might be bring to some of the projects that are already being flagged. If they need support to scale up uh, and make a contribution, uh, then by all means that uh, if it stacks up and again, you've got an NRF, independent board, they'll make those those calls. You know, you would expect that that would be would be the case. I think also, you know, when you think of defence, you need to think broadly. So defence, there's also issues around aviation fuels, kind of aviation fuels, around drones, around equipment technologies, which often might start their life in defence but then have a particular civilian application. And then secondly, just at a broader comment, the more that we can support industry in Australia, which not only services Australia but exports internationally, then the better that is. If we can be a manufacturing powerhouse in some of the areas that we invest in and then get those companies to export globally, it just makes, makes a much better economic outcome for the country. Uh, and last one, uh, double header for Martin. Uh, priority area number seven, enabling capability, might sound a bit fuzzy so, to some people. So can I get a rundown 
for listeners of, of what the, what that includes. Uh, and Minister, you've got a discussion paper out on regulating artificial intelligence. Is Australia going to be pressing on the accelerator by funding AI through the National Reconstruction Fund while the industry department's considering hitting, hitting the brakes through regulation? I think on enabling capabilities, you know, anything that we can do to enable those current priority areas, other things is important. I mean, part of the the way that the NRF legislation is drafted is it gives us quite a bit of room to move. I think that is you know, particularly important. So you don't want to be constrained in, entirely in those areas that have a broad, have a, broad um, a broad understanding. And the other thing is that as we look at supply chains, anything that can enable um, things to happen is also really important. I think quite often people think of let's make an investment in a big idea, but often it's the widget in the process that's absolutely critical that can enable something to happen. And, you know, we don't always have to have to manufacture the shiniest bit. We may actually be manufacturing the most important bit. And so be ha- being able to do that is really critical. And on the enabling capabilities and some of the emerging critical technologies, Australia has got uh, per capita more people that are in that, that quantum area uh, in terms of working on quantum technologies compared to most other parts of the world. And those quantum technologies around computing, communication, sensing, they will fundamentally transform. And I I loathe using game changer, but some in terms of quantum computing will literally be game changing technology. And making sure that the capital is available here for that early, very early stage development is crucial. And we want people to feel like that they can continue to develop their technology onshore and apply it for national benefit long term. And again, the NRF can play a role. When I've looked at technologies over, um, and particularly in the Australian context, the two things that have held them back has been a lack of capital, which we're hoping the NRF will uh, address, and a lack of human capital, the skills needed to breathe life and make make those companies grow because scale is a big thing. But the third element has been trust around technology and the work that we're doing around safe and responsible AI frameworks is about building trust so that we can uh, not just develop the technology and and give assurance to people that the way the technology has been developed satisfies community expectation, but the way it's applied as well does the same thing. So setting the frameworks up, the work that we've done is not about uh, I know you sort of were talking in a, a rather sort of offhand way about throttling the technology. It's about building the trust to enable that to grow. Uh, and I think that's been long term. That's the big thing that we've got to get get right and that people have confidence that the technology has been used for national benefit. It's, it's the technology working for us as a tool, not the other way. That might be all we have time for. Don't want to outwear my welcome in the Min Wing. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for your time. This episode was produced by Phoebe McElraith. The executive producer is Miles Martignoni. We'll be back next week for another episode of Australian Politics. Thanks for joining us. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.